Welcome to Layers of Film, the show where mediocre people discuss masterful films the first Monday of each month. I'm your host, Austin Killian, joined by my co-host, Big T. Big T, how are you doing this fine day? I'm doing great. Getting over COVID, so if I sound a little stuffy, deal with it. I can't remember. I think we talked about it a little bit, but were you like, were you okay? Like, I remember when I had COVID, when like at the beginning or whatever, like my head was getting demolished like huge headaches and stuff was is this strain like pretty chill on that i just was like pretty stuffy i had some headaches and stuff i uh like a fever of 102 the first day yeah um and then just a lot of like fatigue uh for like two weeks just like really tired if i got up and moved around i just got really tired and stuff but yeah I've been pretty good. I, it's I've been. It was like at the beginning of the month, so I'm in recovery. <laughs> I'm just like imagining you for like two weeks straight, just like telling your bosses each day, like I'm just too tired today. I can't. <laughs> well, just... I got a telework, so it was very nice. I got to work from home in my time, pajamas, nice. cuddling with my puppy. Ah. Yeah, because our office's policies, you have to have a negative COVID test before you can go back yeah. in. And I kept on testing positive and positive and positive. So it's just, uh, <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> you were just like hoping that your your wife would get COVID. <laughs> Please be and positive. <laughs> yeah, and, and your wife would get COVID. You'd have her start taking the tests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm very honest. She actually didn't get COVID. I What? Isn't that nuts? Like, yeah. did you self-quarantine, I mean, like, a lot? or I were in a one-bedroom apartment. You can't really quarantine. Oh, my gosh. Wow. But I wore a mask a ton, but yeah. she tested multiple times. It came back negative every time. She hasn't felt bad. We actually then, like, uh, after I was recovered, we hung out with some friends. Yeah. And then they tested positive the next day. And so, but she's, I think she's one of those people with, like, a superpower, doesn't get covid if the actual zombie apocalypse happens, you're going to die and she's going to be roaming around the earth trying to find gasoline. Yeah, she'll survive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's crazy. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. I'll be a goner. Well, besides that, anything exciting happen in your life? <sighs> Nothing much. Um, we're just prepping for our move and it's hectic and I hate packing and I hate moving, but oh, I'm excited yeah. to move. That's Yeah, that is exciting. I'm happy for yeah. you. That'll, oh, I mean, you. yeah, packing sucks so bad. Yeah, Are you just, it's horrible. Are you actually like prepping slowly and you're just kind of putting boxes together here and there? Yeah, yeah. day by day because we have I have a lot of uh, stuff going on in the summer for work. And so mm-hmm. if we leave it for last minute, it's not going to get yeah. done. So, but yeah. yeah, it's been good. How about you? Life has been fine. It's been just fine, Big T. I turned 29. I'm almost 30 years old. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to... I turn 30 in a few months. Oh, my and gosh. It's wild. It's happening. But I've heard your 30s are the best time of life, so. I believe so. Hopefully that's not a lie. Like, I, I actually, I don't even think that I've really heard that, but I'm really looking forward to my 30s. I don't know. I don't know. I just, well, actually, on top of that, I actually, um, I've been interviewing at a place for the past few weeks, and I got a job <gasps> offer Ooh. from them, and I start next Tuesday. So, congratulations thank you yeah the 31st i'm pretty they so here's my well i'm not gonna say any numbers or anything but they <laughs> they made me i had a specific goal that i wanted to get to salary wise before i turned um 30 and you hit it and i exceeded it by oh i remember you telling me that number so congratulations oh yeah i did tell you the number that's right you did yeah anyway, anyway that's exciting 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm super stoked. It'll be it'll be fun. It's a new place though with new technologies and so it's going to take a little bit to get up to speed with everything. So that's always the worst part. You, you did it right. You learned a valuable skill for your <laughs> trade. I lucked into my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I well Yeah, I don't know. I just like a few years ago, I was just like what are the jobs out there that you know, are the probably the most abundant or not the most abundant, but like as far as like making really good money, like really abundant and mm-hmm. all that jazz and this, you know, software engineering and all that stuff ended up just being like, oh, this will work for me. Like I can enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. So it that's great. Out. Especially because you can, I've heard that you can jump, you know, companies a lot and that really helps you get a lot more money. Oh yeah. That's I've jumped companies every year and that's always helped me. Like if I just That's the way to do it. If I just stayed at one company, I probably would have only uh raised my salary by ten thousand dollars by now. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Loyalty is dead. Yeah. Chase that paper, baby. Loyalty is dead. I mean, maybe it depends on the career path, but no, it doesn't. You don't believe that? No, really? I think chase that money. Chase that money. Do not make decisions based on being loyal to a company because they will cut your throat the minute it's <laughs> convenient for them. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, so really excited about that. That's exciting. Congrats. Thanks. You probably already said that like three times. Well, it deserves multiple congrats. <laughs> okay. That's a big deal to hit your goal that you had set for yourself. I'll just keep like bringing this up periodically throughout the show so I keep getting the congrats. No, that's a great thing though. That's a great, that's a big deal. Well, cool. Do you have anything else that you would like to share before we get into it? Nope. I think I'm ready to talk about this movie. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, then let's get into it. And if you hate it, I'll cry. No, I'm just I'll, let, I'll let you know. I'll let you know how I feel about it. So, of course, uh, as the title suggests of the episode, we covered Big Eyes for this month's episode. And it was released December 25th, 2014. The synopsis is a drama about the awakening of painter Margaret Keene, her phenomenal success in the 1950s, and the subsequent legal difficulties she had with her husband, who claimed credit for her works in the 1960s. Directed by Tim Burton, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Oh, yeah. Uh, composed by Danny Elfman, uh, the big actors were Amy Adams as Margaret Keene, Christoph Waltz as Walter Keene, Kristen Ritter as Deanne, and Danny Huston, Houston as Dick Nolan. The budget was $10 million, and the box office earnings was $29.3 million, and you can watch it now on Netflix as uh, at the time that we're recording this. Big T. You had seen this before. Did you see it when it came out or just like a couple years ago or what? No, just a few years ago. Okay. I didn't realize it was a Christmas movie. Yeah. I didn't realize. Honestly, <laughs> I just copied that date down and I didn't realize it was a Christmas <laughs> movie until you just said it. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder why they would choose to put this out on Christmas. It didn't It didn't seem like a Christmas movie whatsoever. Didn't Tim Burton release um, Edward Scissorhands around Christmas too or no? Oh, potentially. Maybe he's got like a thing for Christmas releases. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I don't know. I feel like some movies work really good around Christmas. You know, like the big... I feel like what there was a Spider-Man. One of the most recent Spider-Man movies, I think, came out around yeah. Christmas or something That's like when that. everyone like goes to the movies is like... As messed up as Christmas it is. Christmas and Thanksgiving, you know? <laughs> like we do it, but I feel bad. 
a little bit, you know? Because yeah. it's like, oh, we're we're really going to make these people work on Christmas. Oh, yeah, December 6, 1990 is when Edward Scissorhands Yeah, so not on out. Christmas, but yeah. around Christmas time. Around Christmas yeah. time. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if that's a... That would be interesting to look through his filmography and see how many things have been released around Christmas time. How did you feel about this movie upon second watch through? I liked it just as much as the first time really? I watched it. I feel like I'm in a different stage of my life right now than yeah. I was the last time I watched it. And so I was able to sort of pick up on different themes and mm. motifs and stuff like that. But I mean, I knew going into it, I really enjoy like biopics and dramatizations yeah. of historical things, especially when they revolve around like scandal or mm. stuff like that. So I found it really interesting, but... I'd already seen it before, so I know I would like it. <laughs> That's a good I want to know what you thought. So, I think it was good. The story was good. Uh, performances were a little hit or miss. I agree. In some parts. Especially Jane. Yeah, Jane was... Yeah, there was nothing super special, but her role wasn't that big either. Yeah, I just... Every time she spoke, it just seemed like she was reading off of a script right in front of her face. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, are you? do you think with both... Um, versions of Jane or just young mainly Jane? the youngest one yeah 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 yeah. exactly she just like kind of has those dead eyes it's just like what are you doing <laughs> I know I saw her and I was like I understand why your mother painted these creepy waif children because you're <laughs> sort of a creepy waif child in all you do is life. stare at people <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's hilarious Um, and uh, I, I wasn't really Jason Schwartzman you know who that guy is uh, it sounds familiar he's the guy who played Ruben who does that uh like modern art gallery or whatever that oh okay that walter's comp- competing with basically the whole time mm-hmm. his lines were just the worst to me i hated every single one of his lines and i thought his yeah. delivery was pretty whatever i actually wrote down one of his lines is he like famous now uh, he's been in a few like decent movies like you know funny-ish movies and stuff like gotcha. that i think he was in um scott program versus the world which i really love i love that gotcha. movie yeah, one of his lines was "Clear out the gallery before the taste police arrive." I hated, I hated that <laughs> line so much. It was so cringy; it made me laugh because it was just ridiculous. yeah. It's so bad; it's good though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe that that was a. It's like, like that. something that like a like a sixth grader says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I couldn't believe it. I was like, all right, these writers <laughs> needed to step up their game on that one just a little bit. I did like. Margaret Keene, though, uh, obviously the character is really interesting to, to to learn about. And then also, or the person, I guess. And then I think that Amy Adams did a really, really good job knocking that out of the park. I think she really gave off that feeling of just like naivety, naivete, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. I totally agree. Oh, yeah. And just like really innocent, sort of like withdrawn. Yeah. Like a shell of herself, kind of. Yeah. 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 And then Christoph Waltz, I felt like his performance was pretty good, mm-hmm. although really good in parts and then a little off on other parts, but maybe it was on purpose. Just like anytime you got really mad, anytime you got really mad and was trying to yell and make a big deal or whatever, like it seemed extra theatrical, which I think was kind of the point because all he does is lie pretty much. Mm-hmm. So he's always putting on a performance. Yeah. But at the same time, it wasn't as convincing as I would have liked it to be. I think he he does a really good job in other roles where he's just really creepy because yes. he always seems creepy no matter what. Yeah, it's <laughs> he just does. his like personality. Yeah, exactly. I I will say this though. Um the real Margaret Keane watched the movie and she said that Christoph Waltz acted like her 
ex-husband to a T. Really? She said that it was so spot on that it made her uncomfortable watching it because she was like, this is my ex-husband. So I wonder if that's why it comes across as kind of weird because we don't have that point of reference of the actual ex-husband. But she said that like, especially when he's verbally abusing Amy Adams, that she was like, I was transported back to mm. my own experience because it was so spot on for for what it was really like. So, oh, man, that's sad. That that might be why. Yeah. I mean, okay then. I guess good on him for exactly portraying what he was supposed to do. It's so interesting because like he gets so mad and then he verbally abuses and somewhat physically abuses that kind of happens later on with the matches mm-hmm. and stuff. But he will get to that point, I guess, if he's not too drunk. And then once someone actually makes sense of it or whatever, uh, especially when Margaret it, like figures out this scenic thing or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah, he withdraw like he gets really weak all of a sudden and he goes and sits down. And he's like, I can't like I can't talk my way out of it anymore. Uh oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Which is really mm-hmm. interesting, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, well, now I guess after learning that, maybe that's exactly. If that's exactly how he was, it'd be interesting to see interviews. I should have watched some interviews like with the real people if they have them, which I would assume that they do. Yeah, I don't know. I I saw pictures, but I didn't see any videos. But okay, it's just such an interesting story to me. It's just yeah. like wild. It's I would have never known. I've never even seen these paintings before in my life. I don't think. Oh, really? You hadn't? I don't think so. Yeah, this was all new to me. I think I'd seen them before, but like very sort of like briefly, not in any context. Yeah. Um, but they're pretty creepy paintings. They are creepy. <laughs> they are interesting. Like some of them, some of them are creepy just because like in some of the paintings, the the girls that are sitting on like steps or something like with their neck bent over mm-hmm. it's not right it's like that's not yeah. how your neck moves and so it almost <laughs> looks like a horror they're like, gonna crawl out of the painting <laughs> yeah exactly. try to kill you it, it is a little terrified with yeah. some of them but then the other ones are really sad and all that stuff and yeah. and obviously it makes sense why they are the way that they are because i mean at least in my opinion i didn't see anything about like why she, exactly she painted those paintings but it seems to exactly reflect probably how she feels on the inside just constantly. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe that it tells you, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how she sees the world and yeah, um, all that stuff. Am I mistaken? Was there any point where she really dived into why she paints those paintings? Um, There's that part where they're painting at like some garden or something. Yeah. I think, and he asks her like, why, why are the eyes so big? And mm-hmm. she's just like, that's how I see the world. I think... I don't know if they mentioned this in the movie or not, but it does sort of, she, I don't know if it was in the movie or in like some stuff I was reading afterwards, but the um, Margaret, the real artist, does say that it's sort of to capture like sadness. Okay. But nothing super deep. Okay. That, that I came across. I'm sure she has something somewhere, but. Yeah, I wonder if that speaks to more of just like her personality and not really being able to go into it too much because it is so personal. Mm-hmm. Because obviously they depict it um intentionally i think in the in the film of just like how shy she is and how she can't really claim her art and maybe yeah. that's also due to the times cuz they reference that quite a bit in the 50s of like no one's going to buy no one's going to buy yeah. women's art you know a ladies painting ladies paintings yeah yeah she she talks about that too she's um she says that she was just like really really shy and then also it was just sort of the times where you were really submissive to your husband and you couldn't yeah. really do a lot of stuff by yourself as a woman right. so i think it's a combination of the two which i think that um they capture really well in this mm-hmm. film 
they they sort of reference both of those uh, points pretty consistently throughout. Yeah, that was one of the the things that was one of the first things that I wrote in my little important moments section where her first job, the guy just he imme- like the whole scene immediately starts. So your husband approves mm-hmm. of you working or not. It doesn't start with that. But that's one of the first things he asks is like, so your husband approves of you working. And when I heard that line, I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so annoying to me to right be a now. woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And then and then uh, also because the film is kind of narrated by the reporter or whatever. Oh, shoot. What does he say? Oh, yeah. The 50s was a grand time if you were a man. Just like that was, yeah. that was a really good line to start out the film for sure. Cause that's yeah. exactly like just the struggle throughout the entire film is because of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess I never really like fully answered the question. Like the film is good. I don't know if I need to watch it again, to be honest. Yeah. Now, like, like Ready or Not was a seven out of 10 that I'm willing to watch again because it was, it's a solid, like a so perfect quirky. seven out of 10. But this one's yeah. a seven out of 10 to me. Because that's like a no thank you next. It's like this is a good story. I felt like it yeah. could have been uh done a little bit better because like the the all the points were there, like for sure. Like mm-hmm. everything like it's harrowing, it's a harrowing story for sure. Yeah. I, I I thought it was really important to learn about specifically, and then also uh Amy Adams' performance is totally worth a watch for sure. But now that I know the story, I don't really like the performances just weren't quite there and the the overall execution wasn't quite there for me to to really need to see again but now i know the story and i'm happy that i that i know it. yeah yeah i think too if you're like not really into like dramatized documentaries or whatever they call it or biopics like yeah i agree i think for most people it's like oh this was like a really interesting story not something that i probably want to watch again right but i just thought it was a really interesting story and i really like a lot of the um, I like the story itself, right, of the individuals is really interesting, but yeah. I think that Tim Burton and the writers do a really good job of then expanding it and sort of using this this story as a way to highlight, like, the mistreatment of women, really, yeah. and, like, a lot of those power dynamics that were occurring back then and that really do occur in many spots today. Yeah, for sure. One thing that I'm actually kind of curious about because Deanne comes up, right? Her mm-hmm. like best friend or whatever she is. I don't really know. She doesn't really yeah. come into the movie too much, but you could tell that she's like, she's the one like sane or like uh, just like mostly modern like woman or whatever, like out of mm-hmm. any of the women that we see in the entire film. Like she's honest, she's loyal, she's like independent, she's. You know, she's living her life or whatever. She's herself too. She's she's totally herself, and she wants she tries to make everyone be themselves. But I I guess that's sort of the problem with Margaret. She doesn't even really know who she is because her she explains it in the movie like she went from like a what was it like a daughter to a, a daughter to a wife to a mother to a mother. Yeah, exactly. And so her whole identity has just been attached to other people in 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 one way or another. But I am really curious about Deanne specifically. Like, I kind of want to see more of what her life is, you know, because she is yeah. so independent. Like, what do you do? Like, what what does your day to day consist of? Like, yeah, we don't all the other people like all the other women. I swear they're every single one of them are with a man or something like that. So I'm just like really curious, like what does a more modern woman in the 50s and 60s do back then? Because you don't see it anywhere else in the film. Mm hmm. I don't know. Was that something like, were you curious about that at all? Yeah, I really, I mean, not that specifically, but 
I really do like her character because she's sort of like the voice of reason because you're immersed into this environment where, I mean, at least for me throughout the film, I was just thinking like, Margaret, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you, you escaped from your ex-husband and you're still sending him paintings all the way from Hawaii, yeah. which like, I understand that there's like a lot of power dynamics and abuse and just wanting to get away from it and stuff. But yeah. I feel like Deanne, that's her name, right? Deanne? Yeah. She is sort of like the voice of reason where you're like, oh, okay, like I'm not the crazy one here. Like this is abnormal. This situation is abnormal because Margaret Keene does put up with so much stuff from so many people in her life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, again, it's sort of how society expected women to be at the time. Sure. So it was sort of refreshing to get that point of view. And like when she's sitting in the cafe and she reads the newspaper article that says, you know, Margaret Keene says she painted all these. And she's like, I knew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was really satisfying to me because I was like, you did know it. <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she's the only person that, well, I guess Jane uh, kind of admits like, oh, I like I've known for a long time or whatever later mm-hmm. on when she stumbles into the room or uh, breaks yeah. into the room, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But yeah, she's like the only person that's actually like, actually concerned. She's the only one that's actually looking into it. You know, and uh, and isn't just giving in to whatever yeah. uh, everyone else is feeding her, which is really cool. Yeah, I, I really liked her character. I yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer that she wasn't in it for more screen time, but I did like it when uh, Kristen Ritter showed up because I also like Kristen Ritter. She's she's on Breaking Bad and she's oh I didn't know that uh, Jess, Jessica Jones and I don't know. I think she's actually a really good actress. I wish she would be in more to be honest. But anyway, really good character for her. I kind of wanted to. Talk a little bit about like Margaret's evolution. Yeah. It's it's really weird because it, it really is like a slow evolution because this happens over like what, two decades basically? Yeah, I think it's even longer in real life. I think okay. that like the whole court scene doesn't happen until much later in life. Oh. Like Jane's Jane's an adult when that really happens, oh. but they obviously just had to sort of speed it up because yeah. you can't really do that you know that progression's yeah. kind of weird in cinema but right yeah it's it's over a, a long period of time but it's yeah it's so slow because she gets the movie starts off sorry i'm drinking diet mountain dew so i got some burps a little bit i need some more <laughs> energy but um it starts off obviously with her desperately trying to leave her current situation where mm-hmm. she's probably beaten and her kid might be beaten i have no idea or whatever but it seems like it's yeah, very mistreated seems like it's very abusive uh, relationship that she's in um, with her husband and she goes off and decides to to take Jane uh, with her and all that stuff and and it's interesting because like she's she was probably already in a very weak mindset you know quote-unquote weak at that time and then she has like this kind of zest for life a little bit like she's gonna get a job or whatever she's gonna go sell her paintings even though she kind of gets shortchanged from that guy like immediately where she's like, oh, today's special is $2. And like, how about one? It's like, really, dude? Yeah. Really, dude? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. yeah. Actually, I guess maybe that is sort of a big deal because I was I was curious about that. I'm like, wait, how much does $2 or $1 equate to like these days? And I guess $1 uh, adjusted or for inflation or whatever is closer to $12. So I guess it is $24 versus $12 kind of in a way. So it is kind of a big difference, but still it's like, come on, dude. Like this is a painting yeah. of your kid. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like we see it on her end, right? She's like working so hard yeah. 
And then this guy just immediately comes and cuts the value of her work in half, like, right away. Like, I think we see... And she says, okay. Yeah, you know. Like, it definitely does a good job of painting a picture of, like, her, her who she is. Like, yeah. she's very submissive and can't... She has a hard time standing up for herself, which I very much relate to. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's like a picture of his kid. He's, like, it's a like, dollar. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point because, like, she... I didn't write this down because I, I mainly just wrote down for her character specifically, like, oh, she's shy. She kind of suffers from imposter syndrome. Maybe she's naive. Um, but she's also, she just really wants to avoid conflict at all costs. And mm-hmm. she does that. I think that's that's an okay trait to have as long as it's not really harming you. Yeah. So, like, in a way, she's like, I'm not going to make this a big deal, whatever. It's a dollar. I don't care. Like, you know, I'm just happy to paint because she's probably been sitting there for a very long time. She's like, it's money. <laughs> like, I'm not going to turn it down now, you know? Yeah. Because I've been sitting here all day, and this is probably my first, you know, client or whatever, or uh, customer. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting uh, first thing or whatever. But, yeah, she just kind of gives in a little bit. She likes to avoid conflict. But she has a little bit of a zest for life now. And then she meets Walter. She's really excited. You know, he's really romantic or whatever for her. She, he doesn't appear to be abusive. He has his S for life. He supports her painting, all that stuff, at least on the surface, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, like you have a zest for life, but then also in the back of your mind, I'm like, you've only been to wherever, what is it, San Francisco or something like that? Yeah. You've only been here for like a couple of weeks, I think. I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. been a few months or something like that. But still, it's like you're immediately. But not very long. Yeah. You're immediately going to jump into like this relationship with this, like the first relationship that you could possibly get into. Like you don't want to, mm-hmm. you don't want to, you don't want to feel yourself out a little bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think that like, um, it's really important, especially when you get out of a, such a long-term serious relationship to yeah. like pump the brakes a little bit and yeah. be like, okay, you know what? I, you know, she even says it herself, you know, I was a mother and I was a wife for so long. Let me just take some time. I'll be a mother still, but like, I'm going to be an independent person. But again, I think that you sort of get this as a product of her time, right? Where she does have to define herself in relationship to a man. She doesn't really have the freedom to define herself, especially when there are um, economic needs at play but sure. even nowadays when women do have a lot more freedom than back then at least freedom for now with the way things are going who knows what's going to happen but mm-hmm. like even now people who there are so many people that really just don't like being alone they just like you know they jump out of one relationship and they we get into another one so quickly but i mm-hmm. think that there's something to be said for just taking time to slow down and get to know yourself as an individual oh, for sure. when you have that opportunity obviously she was very restricted in her choices yeah although they don't really do a good job at showing it at least in the film because like she didn't really have anything and then she immediately is able to it seems like buy a house or something. I don't even know. Like she already has a house. Like I don't quite yeah. understand that. But well, I mean, the housing market wasn't as crazy as it is now, <laughs> as now, right? I guess. But if she's only making a dollar, maybe a day, trying to sell a painting. Well, she also had her job. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But and maybe maybe it was a rental. Who knows? But <laughs> potentially, that's that's an. I mean, I'll, well, I'll just. This is just a quick aside or whatever. Like even later on when she leaves with like basically nothing and goes to Hawaii, somehow she gets a house there too. Like I don't quite understand. Yeah. But <laughs> whatever. It's a movie, I guess. I don't know how accurate. Maybe she was there for a long time and and finally was able to buy a house and we just didn't really see it. But I don't know. Anyway, 
going back to what you were saying about like just not having that freedom and, and, and all that stuff and, and just moving down the line of kind of the sequence of events and, and how she is going to get Jane taken away from her. Um, and then Walter's like, Oh, just marry me then I guess. Yeah. And then she just jumps right into that. And then you get back to Deanne. We haven't seen her in a little bit. She's like, wow. Like I've only been on Yeah, two she's dates. low key very like <laughs> sketched out by it. Yeah. She's like, I've only been on two dates, uh, you know, in the past few weeks or whatever, and now you're married and okay. Yeah. Like, what's going on? Yeah, in the on? time that you've been in San Francisco, I've only been on two dates yeah. and you're already married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a great line too, because it's like <laughs> it does such a it does such a good job of combining both like I'm sure Deanne's frustration with her own dating life and then also like <laughs> Right. Her being like, you just got out of one abusive relationship. Like, yeah. pump the brakes, please. Oh, yeah. And that was a very interesting scene to me because um, Margaret says, I'm not naive. And it's like, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, I'm naive. I was just like, yeah, like acknowledge yeah. that. Acknowledge that and stop this. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. This is madness. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think though, and we've sort of already talked about this, the film does a really good job of showing how institutions at the time and really currently, but especially at the time, sort of forced women into these lose-lose situations because mm-hmm. you get the scene where um, Jane's going to get taken away from her because she's yeah. you know seen as an unfit single mother. So she's sort of forced into the relationship then. And then especially that scene where she goes to the, I think the Catholic church and she yeah. asks this mm. You know, Mm -hmm. institutional figure, like, really, she brings up a very serious concern. You know, he's, I think it was that he lied. She's like lied to her child because her husband told her to. And instead of the institutional figure being like, oh, you know what? That's a really serious concern. Like, let's talk about that more. It's just the default, like, trust the husband. You have to be submissive to your husband. He's the leader, blah, blah, blah. Like, and so I think that it does a really good job of showing that, like, Margaret isn't making these decisions to become dependent on her husband in out of the blue, right? There are very systematic institutions at play that are forcing her or telling her that she needs to be submissive and she needs to do what he says. Yeah. Um, and I think that I just really enjoyed that because I think it's really easy to like blame people in situations like that of like, well, why didn't you just leave? You know, yeah. um, especially when it comes to like physical abuse or domestic abuse in that, in a, in a physical sense. But this, I thought did a really good job of showing like, look, it's not that simple. Like there are all these voices telling her no. that she shouldn't leave or she's wrong or her husband's right. And it's really, really confusing. And then on top of that, you have the fact that she wants to provide a life for yeah. her daughter and she wants to have a roof over her head and food on the table. And, the system she's in says she can't do that if she doesn't submit to a really problematic man. So I thought it was a really, it did a really good job of adding that nuance to it. That's true. You just, you got me to think or whatever, because like when she leaves the first husband, like when you actually really think about it, there's like three things that she packs up clothes, her painting stuff and her daughter, right? Packs up her daughter, whatever. But you know what I mean? Like she brings her daughter. Those are the three things that she needs or cares about most in this entire world. Right. And painting is like so essential to her. It's the only unique thing that she really has, like at all. You know what I mean? So the thing she's really passionate about is, and and she's super passionate about it, and like no one can take that from her. 
uh, to an extent, I guess, or whatever. Like she's she's never yeah. gonna give it up, even if she has to lie about it, right? Like exactly, yeah. And even if she gets zero credit for for it, but it's so interesting that she cares so much about her daughter that she's gonna bring her daughter, and she's not willing to give up her daughter. She's gonna marry this guy blindly, basically, um, in order to keep her, and yet she gets talked into. And obviously, this goes into what you've been talking about of like just not feeling like she has many choices and stuff especially with like kind of the lie of like or maybe it's sort of true she kind of debates whether or not it's true as well in the film of like you know lady like lady paintings don't get bought or whatever um but like she's she's willing sort of to give up her relationship with her daughter to an extent like until a certain point she realizes it's not worth it anymore in order to continue painting no it's true i think that she she mentions that multiple times where she says to walter like i don't have a relationship with jane anymore because i'm keeping this huge secret from her but to me that just speaks to how she's trying to be the best mother she can because to her she obviously wants to have a relationship with her daughter but she wants her daughter to be comfortable, to have a home, to have food, Mm. to have clothes. And so she's willing to sacrifice these things that don't seem as important as those immediate material needs. Um, So I really like that we see a lot of different forces at play in the decisions that um, influencing the decisions that Margaret makes and is forced to make, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's... Yeah, like as far as this the story goes, for sure, it's it's a very fascinating watch, and and it's a sad watch. Like there's just like every every scene, there's just something where you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is so frustrating. <laughs> like, oh, if only, like if only you were going through this or whatever in more modern times, like it would it would have been an easy decision. Like you would have just left. You would have just left and you would have made your money on with your paintings, selling them as NFTs or whatever the frick. And yeah, Etsy. <laughs> Etsy. Like it would have been just fine, you know? Oh, man. It's just so crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean, there's like definitely women and partners who are in situations like that where there is this like economic component of staying with their partner. But I think that it's a lot more systemic back then, right? Like, yeah. I don't know, but like, I think women could only get credit cards in like the seventies. Like, oh shoot, really? I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's wrong. <laughs> don't quote me on that. <laughs> <Okay>. But <laughs> like, I know though that like, there's women do have a lot more freedom nowadays than yeah. than back then, and there's still a lot of restrictions and things like that. But there is just a lot back then that was forcing her to be in this relationship through the various systems she was a part of. But even nowadays, plenty of people who are in abusive relationships, particularly women, yeah. are in it because they need food and shelter and yeah. to be taken care of. Be, well, not that they have to be taken care of, but you know, they need a partner to help them because life is hard, you know? And then when your partner becomes abusive in whatever sense of the, whatever sense they may be, it's just, there's lots of things, you know, that keep victims and survivors of abuse in the relationships and this movie does a really good job of showing that i think yeah for sure i i wanted to ask a little bit um from what we were talking about earlier with jane and margaret losing uh, their relationship basically over time do you think walter was ever abusive at all towards jane in any way or was he just not there oh yeah i have no idea towards jane i mean i think he was 
probably at least verbally um, and emotionally abusive towards her just because mm-hmm. that I think is sort of required when you're keeping such a big secret from someone who lives with you. Sure. But yeah, I don't. we don't really see the relationship between Jane and Walter that much. So yeah. I don't know. That was just something that I was really curious about because like, I, f- I feel like, I feel like that's when Margaret finally makes decisions. You know what I mean? Is when yeah. it's really harming the child. Her daughter. Yeah. Her, yeah, her daughter. Yeah. And so it was just something that I was wondering, and I'm assuming that if he was, then she would have, she would have, you know, she, uh, uprooted them yeah, immediately. That's what I would assume too. Cause yeah. I mean, that's definitely one. Of, and you sort of talked about that, but her passion for her painting and her love for her daughter are like the two things that really define Margaret in this movie. Because, you know, like you were saying, like in theory, she could like lose custody of her daughter and and then be able to pursue painting with one less burden. But she doesn't see her daughter as a burden. Her daughter is her daughter. And so I think that that's definitely something that drives her is like protecting her daughter to the best of her ability. Oh man, you just reminded me of... Just the fact that, like, this caught me off guard. I couldn't believe it. Um, although they don't really go into it, like, really any more than what they show. But when we find out that Walter has uh, his own kid. Oh, right. Yeah. That he hasn't shared with her whatsoever and it's probably been, like, 10 years or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, how did you not know after all this yeah. time? It's insane. Yeah, I just think it goes to show how deceitful he is right he's never his true self he's always just playing to an audience yeah he's just always and that leads to another deep question of mine do you think walter ever loved margaret at all in any way i think he loved her like someone loves an object not an actual person oh that's so sad (laughs) because that's what i mean that's what i was wondering it's just like do you think that he ever saw anything in her or was it just always the paintings and he was hoping to get either credit for her work or just reap the benefits of her paintings? Um, yeah, I think that he is a narcissist. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not a therapist, but I just don't really, I think narcissists are unable or it's really difficult for them to love anyone but themselves. Yeah. And so I think any love or adoration he has for Margaret is because of how it makes him see himself or makes him mm. feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah. himself. Yeah, I agree. Because it's it's interesting, uh, on the second watch through for me, you know, I didn't really see this or whatever until, like, for sure it was going in the direction of, like, oh, he's taking credit for everything that you're doing and he's just keeping you, just keeping you in the dark. Or, like, keeping you behind, uh, behind a wall or whatever so no one can see you. Or behind the curtain, there it is. And, uh... You kind of see, like, like when we talked about it earlier, like, oh, what, what's with the big eyes? You know, at first it's, you know, you look at it as curiosity, but once you know the events of the story, it's like, oh, was he really just trying to get backstory so that he could better explain it later when he takes credit for it? I don't know. I don't know when this plan started for him. I, I'm yeah. kind of operating under the belief that he had this plan all along to take credit for everything that she does. But it was going to be a lot longer and a lot harder. But then all of a sudden, oh, Jane's going to be taken away. Perfect. I'll marry her. Yeah. We're all of a sudden going to have the same last name. That's going to make my job way easier. You know what I mean? We yeah. Can, we can just interchange that and people won't even know the difference. And then mm-hmm. after that, like, I'm just going to slowly try to understand 
why she does this and all that so that I could better explain to other people and make it sound like it really is coming from me. Um, and, yeah. and you also sort of see it. It's kind of a subtle thing when I think she paints someone in Hawaii during their honeymoon and she, this is her first time signing it as keen and he is talking to someone else in the background, I think. And then he leans forward and sees her, um, do that. And at first you think like, oh, he's like really touched that she's, you know, changing her, her signature or whatever on the painting. But second watch through, it's like, oh, maybe he's just pleased that the wheels are turning. The transition is happening. And yeah, the movie kind of suggests that it sort of happened sporadically because there's that scene where he's talking to that couple and I think she asks about the painting and he's like starts talking about the scenery painting. And then that whole thing where it's sort of is like he's. He seems to realize then, oh, oh, I could pretend to be the mm. artist for this, but I have a hard time believing. I agree with you. I don't think that it was just sort of like this spur of the moment thing. I think it was very intentional and very planned. And yeah. you see that because he's doing that with another artist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's like an actual artist because the name is like scenic. And so it seems sort of yeah. very generic, but he he did it before, right? Where he was pretending somebody else's artwork was his own. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, maybe he thinks that it was unintentional, but there's clearly a pattern there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's, he's got a, like a whole long history of like plagiarism and mm-hmm. stuff or whatever. You reminded me in the film as well, before they even start, before they're even married, I think, when, when, uh, when she does get the letter that Jane's going to be taken away from her unless she you know has some kind of different change in her life or whatever like getting married to Walter I think they were they were outside painting or whatever together and then they go back to her house and he's bringing the paintings in and she's saying something to Jane I think and he looks over at one of her paintings did you notice this where like one of the eyes is blacked out Mm -hmm. which I don't really understand the significance of that I don't know why it is blacked out but he looks over and kind of like grimaces at it for a second. And I was kind of curious, like if you noticed that and if you like what you thought about that. Yeah, I did notice it. I just thought it was him being like, this art's weird. It's freaky. Yeah. That's it. That's all to you. Yeah. But I don't really know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, maybe that's all it is. I I don't know. It's pretty freaky, especially when they only have one eye, you know, you're like, what's going on here? Yeah, I wonder what the significance of that. I wonder if there's something that we could pull from that at all. Probably not, but well, what? I I don't know. Maybe this is just me saying whatever, but I do think that is the the scene where they're painting in that garden or park or whatever. Yeah, is the first clue we get yeah. that Walter is a liar. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if it's sort of like representative of like the partial unmasking of him where like one eye is, is open and present, but the other one is still sort of obscured. I wonder if that is like an artistic representation of that. Um, And then his aversion to it is because he doesn't like having to see himself in that light. Like he gets very angry whenever he gets confronted. I mean, he literally went to his grave saying that he was the artist. I think that he is psychologically unable to, hold the truth that he isn't the artist like i think that he has such a 
twisted and warped sense of reality that he in his own mind is the artist oh that's interesting i didn't think about that at all i, don't know. I was just wondering like if his wheels were turning at all and it's like oh trying to like study the picture i don't know or whatever that's my english minor yeah. coming in there with my narrative analysis last minute no that's super cool actually <laughs> I, I think i think that could potentially be accurate and if it's not i think it should be <laughs> that's there pretty you go cool. it's canon now it's canon now we said it put it in the wikipedia layers of film said so um <laughs> all right cool i feel like we were on a thread of stuff but i can't remember what that was anymore yeah did you i mean there are multiple times throughout the movie where we get breadcrumbs that he doesn't even know how to paint did yeah. you catch on to that at all no i didn't catch on to it the first time obviously yeah yeah but I think it's so fascinating that you get that where yeah. he has the blank canvas. And then I think the other time they do it is when they take a picture for the the gallery. And mm-hmm. all you see is him signing his name yeah. on the artwork, but he's not actually painting it. And I think I just love little little breadcrumbs like that. Yeah. Well, because at first you look at that specific scene right there when he does sign it and you're thinking like and she's right next to him. Like, oh, they've been painting there all day or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like they've been they've been doing their paintings for a while and he just finished it and, and signed it. And now the guy's ready to take a picture. And then you're thinking like, oh, did he literally just sign his name? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Did he literally just sign his name right for the picture so that they can have it in there? I don't know. Uh, well, I guess so. Here's something, though. Like he doesn't know how to paint, but he knows how to match color. <laughs> he knows how to paint over stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, he doesn't really though. Really? Like if you look at the one that she scrapes off. Yeah. Like Oh, it wasn't even close he, to the same underneath? It, I mean, it's it's in the ballpark, sure. but it's not really like um a really precise layer of color. It's just sort of like a swath of brown and like yellows. Oh. It's not really a specific color because the 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 type of pay attention to the the type of art that the scenic work is isn't really precise it's yeah you know it's it's kind of like i don't know the technical terms but if you look at the thing he scrapes off you're like oh yeah somebody could just kind of like spread a um a little glob of brown paint here and it would have covered up the name just Mm. as easy good point yeah i I didn't really pay attention to that at all Um, that leads into another question why do you think he was so protective over that scenic scenic art? Like, why was why was he so upset? Like, anytime people wanted to talk about Margaret's stuff versus his stuff, if it wasn't even his to begin with. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that he thinks it's his in the in a sense. So he's warped it. But I also think, again, I'm not um, a clinician, but. I just think that like narcissists have a really, really fragile ego yeah. um, in a sense where any challenge to their expertise or their skills is seen as like a personal attack. Mm-hmm. So any attention that towards art that's not going towards his art, he sees as like a personal attack on himself. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Here's a here's a dumb question or a ridiculous question. Which uh, which type of art did you prefer? You prefer the big eyes or the cynics? Honestly, not a fan of either. (laughs) (laughs) What about Margaret's uh, new work after? I actually liked Margaret's new work more. Really? Yeah. It's sort of like the weird elongated. I have some art. You'll have to remind me to show you afterwards. But it's sort of like that where they have like really long fingers and like kind of creepy necks or whatever. Yeah. And there were some pieces that Margaret painted that I like. Like the one that's on the big sort of um, vertical poster. I like that one, but the ones with like the creepy children 
with just like holding pets or whatever. Oh yeah, sure. I'm like, this belongs in a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is pretty creepy or whatever. Like I, I can appreciate it because it is so different from a lot of other things. Yeah. For me, a little bit, it was just like, oh, this is just more of the same. <laughs> it's just another kid. It definitely evokes emotions when you first see it. Yeah, for it's sure. So sort of like in your face, but then I think the critic in the movie does sort of talk about that, where it's like, okay, it's another creepy waif child yeah. with a pet like okay this is so formulaic at this point yeah you're not bringing anything new to your paintings right and then you see that when they sort of turn from like quote-unquote masterpieces to posters to postcards like yeah you see that commercialization where it becomes i mean walter's always like oh i wanted to be an artist and blah blah, blah. he he wanted money mm-hmm. like he wanted money and you yeah. see that very clearly yeah yeah for sure and and you can definitely get that that's really all it is because when she does find out that he's not really who he says he is or whatever and then he starts explaining like I like I really did want to be an artist or whatever and she walks out if he really cared he would have kept like like yelling about it and getting heated about it or whatever but he yeah. just stopped talking cuz it's not worth it I'm sure he wanted to be an artist but like there's a difference between wanting to be something and then becoming a fraud <laughs> well no he just he remember he has that shoulder injury so he couldn't do art oh that's, yeah that's true <laughs> he couldn't paint poor walter he's the victim in he all is this the victim oh my gosh <laughs> only margaret would have just stayed and kept the charade no uh yeah. yeah for for sure i don't know he's a piece of junk and i hate him it's wild to me that he went to his grave saying he was the painter yeah especially like what what was the because they kind of give you the the thing or whatever at the very end that's yeah. what you're pulling from and at the end it also says that in the credits it also says that he never produced another painting after the court case or whatever right it's like okay dude like why are you really trying yeah. to keep this up like you still can't paint <laughs> it's, anything it's because he's a narcissist Bec- yeah <laughs> exactly it's ridiculous yeah. it was interesting though because i was reading in the interview with margaret that um you know how he threatens to have her killed if she like tells her whatever. Yeah, right. She said that she was afraid of for her life until he died. Oh shoot! Like in two thousand, she was like, even after all of this stuff played out, I was like, there were still parts of me or days where I was really afraid that he would kill me. Oh wow! And it wasn't until he died that she was like, okay, I'm in the clear. <laughs> but what that? I mean, that would be so scary, you know, to yeah. live under that sort of control and that sort of you know threat. Like, yeah. of course. You see why she was making these decisions and why she would give him all the money and all the paintings because she just was so afraid of him that she wanted him out of his life. Like, mm-hmm. what wouldn't you do to put you and your child out of that kind of danger? That's true because, like, the really the only time that he gets even remotely violent is when he's, like, super drunk. And it seems like, especially, like, after losing the court case— like, he's probably going to get drunk a lot, you know, <laughs> because yeah. he doesn't have anything in, anymore. And so who knows when, what yeah. day he's just going to be way too wasted. In real life, too, she sued him for $3 million. Nice. Um, She won $4 million. <sighs> she didn't see a penny of it because he was so, he was broke. He'd spent it all oh. on alcohol and partying or whatever, you know. What a piece so, of junk. Yeah, like, he was very clearly living a lifestyle that he could not maintain on his own. And so just like very scary, you know, but I think it does such a good job too of showing how, um, and I sort of talked about this, but a lot of times people who are in um, abusive relationships are seeing as like weak or like 
too afraid to, you know, do anything or just like if you were only stronger or smarter or whatever. And I think this does a really good job of showing how it's not just as easy as like leaving, you know, there's lots of systemic stuff involved. There's lots of threats involved. There's lots of other things going on. Um, And how, I mean, brave it was for her to not only leave him, but like stake her claim to what was hers. You know, that's like a really, really impressive feat to do, especially after so many years of abuse. I know it is actually a little who's the oh yeah and I, th- I feel like it really starts when she tells the dog like she tells the dog like the the truth or whatever and that's that kind of yeah. sparks something in her and also a little bit when they're in that big fancy house she kind of starts giving him a little bit of guff every once in a while you know mm-hmm. kind of testing the limits what's uh every once in a while and and then she tells the dog and then her daughter finds out or confirms it or whatever and then they move to hawaii and then she Oh, is it the Jehovah's Witness people that she tells next, probably? Or most likely, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if we see her tell anyone okay. after the daughter. Well, she definitely tells, like, Big Lolo or whatever that... Yeah, obviously, until she yeah, announces okay. it on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, like, the next, like, official time that she tells someone. Okay, mm-hmm. I see. Man, that's so... What a what a secret. That's, that's insane to have to live with that. Also, while, while you were talking... I, I wanted to look up just a little bit because at the very end, they show the pictures of the real ones, you know, and uh, Walter just looks, um, he's not a very attractive man. And so, <laughs> and so I was like curious, it's like, oh, what did she look like when she was younger? And she was attractive. And it's like, oh, what are you doing? You could have done better than that. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think it, even that sort of goes back to like a lot of things we've talked about, but stability. you just see that in her character, she's not very confident in herself. Mm, like right. she's been beaten down in so many senses yeah. where she just really like, even when she goes and confesses to the priest, like the first thing she says was I was raised Methodist. So if that's a problem, I can go oh, like yeah. her she goes into a space and the first thing she does is like dismiss her validity and being there, you know? Mm, Interesting. And so I think that that just really translates to so many other parts of her life. Like she has been taught that she is not allowed to take up space and she is not allowed to be her full forceful self in a room. And so I think you really see that. And this is just one story of so many women, especially at the time who had to live under the thumb of, abusive harmful men because society told them that that's what you had to do to get along you know or else you'd be out on the street because you can't open a bank and you can't have a credit card and you can't own a car can't have a job and even like going going off of the little like confession bit uh just a little bit longer it's just like it's it's interesting because just like you said she's like kind of you know self-doubts and all that stuff she doesn't think that she can really get you know what she needs out of most situations that are involving a man and here we have the confession where she's supposed to get exactly she's supposed to get everything out there everything that's in her mind Mm -hmm. if she wants to and there's supposed to be no judgment right or whatever well there's supposed to be like whatever i don't know like solid advice and stuff and they're not supposed to do really anything outside of that right i don't know maybe it was different i don't know i don't really understand but how that whole process is um but she can tell i think subconsciously at least that she's not going to get what she's looking for out of this this other man or whatever right this priest another institutional figure yeah and and so she almost like started 
talking a little bit further about something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she was going to go into detail and then she decided not to or whatever. It might have been about the lie itself or maybe just the relationship with his daughter or, or, or with her daughter or something like that. I don't know. But but she, she kind of stops herself from continuing you know, to to explain the situation because she knows that it's not going to get her anything. <laughs> yeah. Which is so, so sad. Which it's, just reinforces to her that she's not worth it, you know? Mm. She's wrong or she's mistaken or, you know, yeah. she has to just sort of put up with it. I do think, like, it's really interesting that we see, like we mentioned, the, the letter is a... Sh- as a symbol of the letter saying Jane's going to get taken away is a symbol of how system, the systems forced her into this abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. The going to the church is a symbol of how institutions forced her into this relationship. And I think it's interesting that what eventually sets her free in this movie we see is the pamphlet that the Jehovah's witness people give her and yeah. it's women it's a religious organization, yeah. but it's two women that come up to her. Right. And I really enjoyed that we don't see institutional figures telling Margaret what to do. We don't see, like, I don't know much about the Jehovah's Witness religion, but yeah. we don't see, like, the pastor or whatever the church yeah. leader is telling her, like, you need to be honest. Like, we see um, Margaret sort of coming to that conclusion on her own. Mm-hmm. And I really like that, that it's not someone else telling her what to do. Yeah. It's her sort of digesting information and applying it to her own life. Yeah. And then moving forward, I mean, I we sort of talked about this. I have my own issues with institutions and religious institutions in particular Mm -hmm. but i really like that that it wasn't an institution that told margaret what to do it was her own digesting and processing of information that led her to that um, conclusion yeah i feel like that's so important like (laughs) for people to just make decisions themselves (laughs) yeah it's just it's oh man just what a time what a time in the 50s for a man (laughs) it's really time to be alive for a man Um, really a white man and a white heterosexual man (laughs) and a white (laughs) but i mean we just talk about man because it's this is really a story about like you know being a woman yeah yeah yeah. and how yeah what's also really interesting about the the whole thread with the the jehovah's witness uh women is just how everything that she's looking into with the jehovah's witness religion is like just totally speaks to like she points at like we kind of talked about this maybe earlier off the off the show i i can't remember exactly but she's telling she's telling her daughter jane about some of the things that like whatever pamphlet that she's reading or or i don't know maybe a book that they have i don't know where uh it's just totally speaking to her and exactly what she wants i can't remember the specifics yeah it was before the show i really wish i would have written it down but just everything's speaking to her and it's just like oh perfect like <laughs> i feel empowered now you know yeah i can't remember i wonder if it's after after she kind of reads that pamphlet that she decides to sign the new batch of Walter Keens as MDH Keen. I, I think it is. It's after? Because that's really the like pivotal moment for her is when she She's gonna fight. is reading that pamphlet and it says like, oh, you need to be honest in all your dealings or whatever, even if, you know, something bad might happen. Yeah. And that's when you really see her sort of take her power back, which is... Yeah. I don't know. I'm a big fan of like empowerment movies. Sure. So, no. Um, you know what's funny to me about this film is how, oh, shoot, just 
Oh, how did I start saying the sentence in there? I just lost it as I was talking. Empowerment movies? No, empowerment. How is that possible for a human being to do that, to just lose the thought as they're talking? <laughs> Long COVID. Oh, I don't know. Whatever. I can't remember exactly. It was, it was something about the court, I, the court case or like the actual <sighs> trial. Which is a great scene. It is a good, it, it, yeah, I, I did enjoy that scene. There's a lot of good stuff. It's like so entertaining when he's like being his own lawyer and like literally running back and forth. Dude, yeah, that's one of my favorite It's like moments. this man is all about theatrics. Oh, for sure. And then he basically like filibusters or whatever for like, who knows how long. I have no idea. Yeah, it's so funny. Like he's he's just such a narcissist that like oh, he literally has a captive audience and yeah. he's so excited oh, even yeah. though he's being sued. And every every question that he asks her specifically is is framed in is supposed to be framed in a way where it's going to make him look better. Yeah, it's just, all leading. Yeah, and he and he just always looks at the the uh, the jury as well. I don't and smiles. That's one thing about this guy. Like even if someone, even if everyone around him is miserable, if he's getting exactly what he wants, he's going to be super happy and excited. It's, and you see that especially when he's at that that big dinner party or whatever where he's presenting his masterpiece and all that jazz i don't i don't really know exactly what's going on but but he's just so excited and you can see that margaret's just totally the most unhappy person in the entire room and he does not care he's going to enjoy his his time and then yeah it ends up not being good because of that article or whatever do you hey do you i i know that you already said that you don't uh really care for her pictures at all but do you think that what the critic was saying was kind of harsh or not um i mean i it's up to him. It's his opinion, obviously. Yeah, I think like art critics usually, at least as they're depicted in movies, are like very high on themselves. Like <laughs> yeah, art yeah. is like art is whatever it wants to be. Yeah. But I do get the point of like it being very derivative. Like, okay, it's literally the same thing over and over again. Right. Like, there's not really anything new. Like, you've seen one, you've sort of seen them all. Yeah. You know. But I don't know. I'm not an art critic, and I don't really digest that much art. So <laughs> that's that's something though. Like for as repetitive as your art is, with the belief that it is a representation of how she feels on the inside, there's something really thought provoking, and I think really important about the fact that even as a grown adult with adult decisions that she can kind of make all these years she has the exact same feeling on the inside you know what I mean there's something really sad and and just kind of I can appreciate it or whatever like uh, uh, why it's it is so repetitive is because that's how she feels every single day that she paints yeah I think too like we do see her try a different style later yeah. and I wonder how long her like waif period would have lasted for if her husband weren't forcing mm. her to like mass produce them pretty much Good point. because I don't know I would go insane having to paint that same stuff over and over again yeah um, and I'm just curious yeah like how long would have it lasted would she have really made that many if she had been able to move at her own pace yeah that's a really good point I think I think a, I I think she would have probably produced a lot of the same ones for a little while but yeah I think it wasn't until really she just felt like she didn't have her identity anymore again because she had even lost 
lost her style. She lost her painting and all that stuff yeah. in a way. And it isn't until she goes to that store and she sees all these people with big eyes. I can't really tell if they were actually trying to do big eyes or if it was just her seeing it. I have no idea. But um, no, I think it was just her seeing it. Just yeah. her seeing it. Okay. And and that it, I don't I don't believe it is until after that moment in that grocery store that she decides to change her style Hmm, interesting i didn't think about that yeah so there's a little bit of speculation of maybe she would have just painted the exact same thing for forever until she felt like she lost her identity in it and you could tell especially she starts to go crazy a little bit when she's creating the masterpiece the uh, tomorrow forever i was going crazy a little bit <laughs> yeah and just <laughs> that'd like, be so overwhelming everywhere and then she looks in the mirror and she has big eyes and it's just like yeah like i am big eyes and i have no identity anymore i'm just big eyes yeah <laughs> all she is is yeah i think that the scene that's really powerful to me is when she's at the gallery and someone asks her if she paints and she says i don't know yeah right that to me is like so powerful that's because true. like you know people in abusive relationships they do really lose that their identity like so much of their time is spent on like focusing on surviving or focusing on like getting through the day or whatever it may be because she says multiple times like painting is her passion it she loves it it like helps her express her feelings and then to have to say i don't know if i'm a painter like that would be so heartbreaking and so i just really like that that scene captures that idea that she has lost herself in order to sort of maintain this relationship unwillingly. Yeah. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I did want to bring up just, I I thought it was a really interesting thing when she is going to dinner with Deanne. I should have said this earlier, but how Margaret, it, it says a lot about her character as well, that when the fortune cookies come out, and she's just so anxious about opening the fortune cookie, you know? Like, this is... And indecisive, too. Yeah. Well, it's just like, yeah, indecisive a little bit. She finally picks out one. But she also, like, you can tell by the way... This is great acting acting by Amy Adams. Like, this is this is going to change the course of her, his, like, of her, uh, of her destiny, you know? Yeah, it's, everything has so much weight. It's so crazy. It's a stupid fortune cookie that no one... That's mass produced. <laughs> Fortune cookies are mass produced, and they're yeah, just writing true. a bunch of random nonsense in there. And uh, she's she's the whole f- uh, her entire fate or whatever depends on this fortune cookie. It's the craziest thing. And it I, honestly, it doesn't even come true because it says like you're gonna find new success or whatever in your most recent endeavor. And technically, I guess in a way she does, but at the same time, she loses it all. And then she doesn't even make the money at the end because Walter spent it all. <laughs> That's yeah. That sucks. But I just thought that that was a really interesting scene and and, and really shows uh, Margaret's uh, personality. Yeah, I think that they do a good job of showing her personality in a lot of those little little moments like that. Yeah, I really liked the scene. I thought it was really interesting. There's a time when I think someone's talking to Margaret about her new style. And then it cuts to Walter, and he's like, it's not even one of mine, it's one of hers. Oh, yeah. And he's saying it as if he were the one that painted the waves. Like, I think that right. that, too, is a such a great way of showing him in his head. Like, he he is the painter. And it's interesting, because you'll if you notice the language, he refers to the painting as hers, mm. originally. And then he re- starts referring it to it as ours. Yeah. We're the painter. And then he says, I'm the painter. Mm-hmm. You see this transition for him, where... He's 
you can almost see him like mentally rewriting the story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's um, true. And I think it's just, it's really interesting to see that. And I just love the culmination. That's not even one of mine. That's not even, uh, it's not one of mine. It's one of hers. It's like, neither of them are yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, bro, neither of them are yours. What are you talking about? Oh, wow. That's so interesting. And then he's officially ditched the Senex and now he's, he's full on. Yeah. Wow. Wait. I think too, something that you see in abusive relationships or just manipulative ones, um, when she talks about wanting to come clean, he's like, we've committed fraud, yeah. you know, and he sort of like scares her into staying silent. I think you see that a lot in abusive and manipulative relationships where right. they like do something, you know, quote unquote, dirty or illegal together. And then they yeah. sort of force the person to be silent. But it's just interesting to see all the different ways that he manipulates her and is yeah. abusive to her without really like laying a finger. I think that the real Margaret says something along the lines in an interview that he like tried to hit her once and she was like, if you hit me, I'm going to leave you. So he knew not to like physically abuse her, Mm. but he abused her in lots of different ways. I actually think she said at one point she was painting 16 hours a day in a dark room with the blinds drawn and the doors shut, which would be horrible. And that whenever she tried to, whenever she would leave, he would follow her to make sure that she wasn't like talking to people. So he was like very, very controlling and very manipulative. Even like worse. Jeez. Yeah. It's pretty scary. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you kind of get like a small, you, you get a small glimpse of that. Um, when Deanne, finally visits them like mm-hmm. in their new house or whatever and she goes into the gallery and literally like within like i don't know 30 seconds he's in there like freaking out about his paintings and all that yeah. stuff and then when they go out into the living room he's there on the couch yeah in between them in between them with this awkward silence well not only that too but if you noticed when you walk into the house, normally there's like pictures of family, right? Your kids and yeah. stuff, but it's pictures of him with famous people and like all of his mm. articles about him. They're like, it's just another physical representation of how he's a narcissist, right? The only yeah. person that matters to him is himself. And then we see it too when um, Margaret's giving Deanne a tour and she says multiple times like, oh, I thought the house was too big, but Walter said it was fine. Right. I didn't think the wet bar was necessary, yeah. but Walter said that we needed it. Like she, you can see her getting bullied and manipulated into every decision in her life to the point where she isn't a person anymore. Yeah. yeah. So it does. I think that there's like lots of really good subtleties yeah. that sort of show how that manipulation is really, really deep and also how... Walter's a narcissist. <laughs> well, yeah, and carrying carrying uh, the pictures and stuff with the famous people over, or even farther out to the 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 trial, the, his whole filibuster thing or whatever is him literally just naming off all the famous people that he's given mm-hmm. paintings to. It's yeah. the most insane thing. I do, however, <laughs> I do, however, like that's one of my favorite moments is when he's. What's the wording? He, Walter bestows the painting to Joan Crawford or whatever at the <laughs> restaurant. Um, it's, I, I love the part like because he does that, and then they quickly turn to the camera and big cheesy smiles. Yeah. It was that and was it's so funny because he like kind of creeps in. <laughs> yeah, he's like hunched over and has yeah. this big portrait. It's just yeah. so good. That's that's hilarious. Also, something that I definitely wanted to point out was uh, the moment when he is. Like or like, that's also a part of that whole montage or whatever, and then he donates like a picture or whatever to the, the mayor of San Francisco, and he says, "On behalf of the children of the world, 
I present this he's painting such a, to the mayor. Yeah, of San he's Francisco. so dramatic. It's ridiculous. On behalf of the children, <laughs> yeah, like any of them, <laughs> like any like of care them have cared. Yeah. This. And it's all just publicity stunts too, right? Yeah. It's just so that his paintings get the paintings get more famous. More traction. Like, well, and even yeah. the reporter is helping with that. Like he's the one yeah. that's tipping him off about Joan Crawford in that purple yeah, I mean, whatever restaurant. He definitely was like a salesman. But I yeah. think again, you see this with a lot of um abusers and manipulators where they're experts at having two faces, right? There's like this public facing that's like really uh, friendly and like charismatic. And you see that so many people are always like, Walter, welcome back, you yeah. know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then he's so manipulative behind closed doors. Yeah. And that's so common. Like so many times people are like, oh, I could have never imagined that he was this horrible person. It's like, no, that's because he he was intentionally deceiving you because it just makes the survivors seem crazy, you know, yeah. when they say that this person's this horrible person, but that's very common. Yeah. 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 For sure. Oh man. Yeah. This is, it's a really good story. I, I do appreciate this story a lot. Again, like I felt like yeah. the, I felt like the execution could have been a little bit better to bump it up. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's a Tim Burton thing or whatever. Also, honestly, uh, Danny Elfman, who's done like pretty much every single one of Tim Burton's stuff, and he's done a lot of other music as well. Uh, nothing special about the soundtrack at all. Yeah, I felt like the music was pretty outdated, actually. Oh, and I, I don't know if it's because it's an older song, like an older yeah. decade. Well, it might as well have been like an episode of Grey's Anatomy or something. Like it was yeah. TV show music. It was totally. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't great. Mm-mm. Like especially our first episode talking about Edward Scissorhands and just how mm-hmm. unique the music is. And that's what, to me, yeah. Danny Elfman is known for. But here we get the most generic thing. Sometimes you got to just phone it in. You know? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I guess so. I do have a question for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in that scene when they're talking about when he asks her, like, why she paints eyes that way or whatever, mm-hmm. um, she talks about how people's eyes she can see their true selves she says something along the lines of like oh they you know people's eyes let me see their true selves why do you think she couldn't see walter's true self in his eyes oh my goodness i didn't think about this wow that's a really good uh that's a really good question thank you (laughs) (laughs) oh wow i think I mean, we've been talking about it the whole episode. I I think that she was just kind of conditioned to never really truly look into a man's eyes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in a way, like number one, like it's never going to work out for her. Number two, Walter's never his true self. Or I guess he is his true self, but he's never truthful. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so she can't really ever see it because he's always putting on, he's always selling something. He's selling a version of himself. He's selling the paintings. He's selling whatever. And so she's just going to see a good salesman. And she acknowledges that finally on the on the stand where she mm-hmm. says, I, I can admit you are a great salesman. You are great with words, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, and that's I think that's really the time that she comes to the realization. And I think maybe that's just something that she has always struggled with. And I would be curious to know what her own family dynamic was with her father i have no idea yeah i wonder if there's kind of some of that going into it as well i don't know just and then always trust the man like even the even the the priest you know trust trust the priesthood whatever you know like 
You know what I mean? Like Yeah, the Catholic guy or whatever. You just trust them. You don't have to look into their eyes. You just are supposed to trust them. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about how like she wasn't allowed to, you know, look a man in the eyes and sort of has to trust him yeah. being authentic. But yeah, I was leaning more towards like she couldn't see Walter's true self because he didn't have a true self. Yeah, yeah, right. He was always putting on a show. He was always playing to a crowd like he she couldn't see the true self because there wasn't one he who is walter at the end of the day but just a bunch of empty masks yeah um because i just don't think that he his personality and his identity has been shaped by all the people around him i just see him as like an empty shell of a person yeah and she's also naive (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she's she's naive, and she says it to Deanne at one point that she believes that he was just a blessing. You know, he was a mm-hmm. blessing, dropped out of heaven, came into her life right when Jane was going to be taken away, and so it's like, oh, perfect, like everything's great. And she just yeah. saw what she wanted to see because it was working for her financially, and she had to. That's what she was sort of forced into it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, well, I'm glad that you liked it. I know not all movies are worthy of being rewatched but I, I agree with you i think it's a really interesting story and oh yeah um yeah i agree with a lot of the stuff you said too the music's kind of just so so and stuff yeah definitely interesting to watch oh yeah for sure i th- it's definitely worth talking about for sure i'm just going to quickly go over a little bit of trivia if that's okay yeah okay do it so uh first little item of trivia the sales of Margaret King paintings soared ahead of the release of the film. Small paintings sold for $8,500 a piece. And director, wow. so she earned the money <laughs> eventually, just yeah. not from him directly. Uh, director Tim Burton owns an extensive collection of her work. In the 1990s, Burton commissioned Keen. So he knew about her a long time ago. Commissioned Keen. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it kind of fits with his style. Uh, to paint a portrait of his then-girlfriend, Lisa Marie. Uh, and then uh, Keen also painted portraits of uh, Helena Bonham Carter as well. And Bert- that also doesn't surprise and me. And Burton's late Chihuahua. Uh, oh, Chihuahuas have naturally big eyes, so it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, and then in 1998, animator Craig McCracken's cartoon series, The Powerpuff Girls, premiered. The leads are based on Keen's waifs, and one character is named Miss Keen. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I wanted to put that in there because I was actually a huge Powerpuff Girls fan. Uh, when I was a kid, Rose was great. It is great, actually. Watch it, like for reals. Watch it. That show is hilarious. It's it holds up. Oh yeah. So Margaret Keene has a cameo. I didn't realize this at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she, when they're painting outside, uh, sorry, Margaret is the real Margaret is on a park bench, I guess, reading behind them or whatever. Um, I gotta go back and look at that. And then when Margaret discovers that even Walter's Paris paintings are fake, she realizes that she has never actually seen him paint. We already discussed this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that wasn't something that I realized until the, the second watch through, which is really weird and interesting. Yeah, it kind of puts you in her shoes, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, how did you go so long never seeing him paint? And we're like, wait, we've never seen him paint in the <laughs> two hours we've known him yeah. or whatever. Yeah, when she brought you that know. up, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, I fell for that too. That's, That's actually Because he never painted yeah. at that when they were painting outside, he was trying yeah, to get never. into the scene or strike or inspiration, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah, I, I would say worth a watch at least one time to get the story and to discuss. I think it's worth discussing. Yeah, I think there's lots of good commentary mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. Cool. Cool. 
Well, thank you for picking that film. You're Big welcome. Team. I appreciate it. Uh, I didn't tell you what the next film was going to be. I'm pretty sure you've already seen it. I remember showing it to you, actually, I think, for the first time. Uh, we were in a car. We were actually in my Suburban. Can you think of what this movie is based off of this? You probably don't remember. Mm, uh-uh. We were in my parents' Suburban. We were traveling back from somewhere, and we were watching uh, this film, and I was showing it to you for the first time, and there's there's kind of a twist at the end where you're like, oh, wow, like incredible. Can you Space it? Jam. What? <laughs> the Village. No. Ocean's Eleven. Oh, okay, okay. How how I was just watching somebody talk about Ocean's Eleven. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you, wait? I don't remember anything from it. Okay. So, <laughs> so did you? I'm assuming maybe you've only watched it the one time with me in the car. No, I've probably seen it more than once. But we were just talking to some friends. She loves heist movies. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. They had just watched Ocean's Twelve, and they were like, "It's not that great," but Eleven and Thirteen are great. I, no, Thirteen blows to me. I, or maybe it's the reverse. I don't yeah, remember. I think. Uh, Oceans 11 is like perfect. Oceans 12 is really, it gets really quirky, like for no reason, but it's also yeah. really funny at the same I'm time. I'm excited to watch it. But yeah, so Oceans 11, directed by Steven Soderbergh, uh, PG 13, and actually streaming on HBO Max currently. Finally, Sweet. I've suggested a movie that's actually streaming somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's always, you have to rent it or something. So. Look forward to that. Um, this episode is coming up on obviously the day that it. Let's see. I always have. I need to look this up ahead of time. I don't know why. What is it? July? <laughs> is July? Yeah. Yeah, because this is going up in June. So, Ocean's Eleven episode will be coming out on Monday, the fourth of July. Wow. Maybe I should have picked a Fourth of July movie. <laughs> but whatever. What's more American than Ocean's Eleven? <laughs> than heists. Yeah, come on. A modern day Boston Tea Party. <laughs> so look forward to that. Watch it. Cool. I don't know. Hopefully you guys like this episode and you guys actually watch the movie before you listen to it. I don't know why you would uh, listen to this episode without watching the movie, but you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Layers of Film Pod. Over on those, you can write into layersoffilmpod at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments about the future film Ocean's Eleven. And uh, we appreciate you guys. And uh, leave a review as well if you'd like. And uh, have a fantastic time. Bye bye. See ya. (laughs) 